Welcome to the Bible Unbound Podcast, Ancient Mysteries of the Scriptures Explored. I'm your host, Jim, and I invite you to join me on a quest to unravel the profound and mysterious narratives that lie within the pages of the world's most revered text, the Bible, and the most mysterious of all books of the Bible, the Book of Revelation. So let's look back again at the first verse of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So having shown the four prevailing and most popular interpretations of the book, let's take a look at that phrase, the things which must soon take place, and consider the timeless relevance of the book of Revelation. Notice in verse 1-1, the phrase, the things that must soon take place. Now that's the key phrase that we want to seize upon as we consider the timeless relevance of Revelation. The Greek word is ginomai, ginomai. It's a verb. It means to come into existence or to begin. That's where we get the English word generate, gene, genetics. It's the idea of expectation, relevance, looking in anticipation. Husband looks in anticipation toward his wife's pregnancy and the beginning of a new life. And so John's phrase, the things that must soon take place, that would preclude any date setting or any sitting on a mountain waiting for the end. It anticipates beginnings, not endings. Patterns, cultural occurrence, political and geospiritual uprisings with heaven reacting, men reacting to heaven in turn, sort of a spiritual dance or standoff. And the reason is, is because things are not like they used to be after the coming of Christ. He has been revealed to the world. And so it's similar to what Paul says to the philosophers in ancient Athens in Acts chapter 17. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So that's Paul's way of saying there was an age prior to Christ's coming. There's an age that is now here in which God commands a different way of life. He commands every man, everywhere, in every nation to call upon Jesus Christ because he has been revealed. It's very different. Although it can also be said that things are not necessarily as they seem. We do not look upon things with the physicality of the Old Testament. We look at things in the spiritual reality that has burst forth. So I mentioned four different ways of interpreting the book of Revelation. Now this idea of relevance, the timeless relevance, can be a key to understanding which of these four approaches toward Revelation might be the most accurate or helpful? Because the historicists, if you remember, 
they relegate the unfolding of the narrative of the book of Revelation to certain key events that occur upon the earth. When this happens, then that is what is corresponding to this particular chapter or scene in the book of Revelation. And so it's really not relevant to those who are outside the sphere or the purview of these particular events that are occurring. Likewise, preterism, which sees that AD 70 is the ultimate fulfillment of the book of Revelation, well, that just means that the book is basically irrelevant to generations subsequent to AD 70. And also futurists who see that the book of Revelation is primarily for the last seven years of human history, that would be our modern evangelical approach, the book would basically be irrelevant from between the first century unto that final century, whenever that may appear. So only idealism, that's our fourth view, only idealism sees the book of Revelation as pertaining to the entire span of church history. Let me show you in three examples how this works. Think of the affliction of the persecution to which the first century church was subjected to in the days that John wrote the book of Revelation. Well, that's not just special for them. They're not unique in that sense. But it's typical of the persecution and of the tribulation which true believers must endure throughout the entire gospel age to one degree or another. Jesus promised this in John 16. He said, I have said these things to you, verse 33, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. To this end, Timothy is promised by the Apostle Paul, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul's not just talking about the first century. The Holy Spirit has woven that into the narrative, into the timeless narrative, which is the possession of the church, the bride, the body of Christ. She will endure tribulation and suffering in every generation of one form or another. And yes, it will culminate to the end, and it will be dominant as the scene that Jesus portrays in Matthew 24 unfolds, when he says that the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fail, the fall from heaven, powers from heaven will be shaken, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Well, secondly, the timeless relevance of the book of Revelation is seen in that the particular scenes that are portrayed, for example, the seals, there are seven of them, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, these concern principles and happenings which are so broad in their scope, like wars, plague, natural catastrophes, awakenings, victories, etc., these are so broad in their scope that they cannot simply be confined to one definite year or span of years 
or occurrences or events. But these broad categories of scenes, these broad concepts, seals, trumpets, bowls, they expand and they span the centuries, reaching out until the final day of the Lord. In third place, the relevance of the book can be illustrated just by virtue of the letters to the seven churches, Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. They're addressed to how many? Seven churches. And if you're aware of your Bible's use of numbers at all, you'll know that seven is the number of completeness. For example, four times the phrase, the seven spirits of God, is used in the book of Revelation. It's basically from Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. Well, you could do one of two things with this phrase. On the one hand, the seven spirits of God, well, you could make up a, a new denomination. The seven spirits of Godites. You could start a new movement, or new doctrine. You could maybe incorporate it into notes in your Bible. Or you could do the responsible thing, which is to know that seven being the number of fullness or completion, you're talking about the one single Holy Spirit who has a multiplicity of workings and powers and consolations and comfortings. That's his fullness, seven spirits of God. So the use of the seven churches at Asia Minor or the seven golden candlesticks or lampstands. They represent the fullness of the church, the duration of the church, and the admonitions and consolations of those seven churches were meant for Christians of every generation. So in closing, we we noted last week an illustration that we want to use often in this podcast, and that's that the book of Revelation is sort of the IMAX theater of the Bible. We imagined what it would be like if a primitive native were plucked out of his environment in South America or Africa somewhere, and suddenly he was sitting in the IMAX theater, the largest one in the world, which is found in a place called Leonberg, Germany. It's about seven stories high, about 12 stories wide. It's tremendous. And just imagine there he is in the silence and the darkness and the stillness of that theater. He can't even see the person who's in the seat next to him. Suddenly there splashes onto the screen from one side of the eye to the other, his full horizon. These images are exploding before him of waterfalls and sunsets and earthquakes, and mountains, and rivers, and he just doesn't know what to do with himself. He's beside himself. Well, to carry that illustration one step forward, think of it not as just an IMAX, but think of it as something a little more personal, a little more hands-on. A few miles away from where I'm sitting right now is the Naval Air Station, Pensacola, Florida. You may be familiar with the fact that it's the, it's the home of the Blue Angels. But alongside that, there's a museum there with an amazing flight simulator. Maybe you've sat in a flight simulator. Well, the one there at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola is, is simply tremendous. It's like an IMAX, although a smaller, obviously. But that simulator takes in your entire visual spectrum 
But the fact is, you're not passive. It's personal. Your hands are on the controls and things are happening. You're pitching higher or trending lower. You're going side to side. You're dodging the mountain ranges and the cliffs and this F-22 Raptor. And it's very, very personal. You're part of an unfolding graphical explosion. And it's responding to you. Or you are responding to it. So in the book of Revelation... I've I've heard the question many times, where's America in end times prophecy or in the book of Revelation? I don't even think that's a legitimate question. I think the question really is, where are you in the book of Revelation? Well, if we are correct and Revelation is relevant for every generation, then that's where you are, as John was, face to face with the risen Christ. Today, if you find yourself fearful, or if you find yourself apathetic, you've lost your first love, or you find yourself engaging in some sort of sexual immorality and you've compromised, well, there you are. You're right there. And you're face to face with Christ in this book. Or perhaps you need to see that your anxious world as it collapses in darkness around you, that Christ is still on the throne. There are schools of thought that say that Jesus Christ is not fully on the throne until a future thousand-year millennial kingdom. We don't think that. We think there's a reason that leaders around the world like Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un and Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum and others like him, Bill Gates, they're trembling that their reign, their fourth industrial revolution, their global network of the new world order, that it may not materialize. And so they're trying to press down further and further and harder and harder in their manipulation and their surveillance and their control. But they remind me of the scenes of Hitler cowering in his bunker He's about ready to take his own life, or Pol Pot, or Mussolini, Mao, or Stalin. You know, Joseph Stalin was clenching his fists at God when he was on his deathbed. Christ is alive. Christ is king. Christ is ruler. Today, maybe you need someone who will never betray you, whose loyalty is secure, as the heavens above, who will never leave you, betray you. He's presented to you here in Revelation. Think of John staring into this vision that he saw of Christ in chapter 1. Jesus says, fear not, John. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. In closing, think of this illustration. Your beloved child has been taking piano lessons a few years. Suddenly, it's the day of his recital, and there he sits at his piano, He's going to attempt 
to play a composition by Johann Sebastian Bach. Well, he's not that good. It doesn't turn out that well. He's just all thumbs. He's embarrassed. Poor little guy. He didn't play Bach that well. But did that reflect on Bach? Bach's genius? Composition genius? Famous works that he has left to us? Not at all. It's that same way with Christ. Maybe you're surrounded today by what appears to be a very deeply flawed and desperately weakened church. It just doesn't seem like there are many faithful remaining. It's like the days of David when he cried, Lord, the righteous no longer remain. I've felt that way. Maybe you have too. And the fact is, neither I nor many of those around me play Christ very well. Though Christ was the original composer of the universe, we as children oftentimes fail in playing Christ very well. Well, the book of Revelation is going to be an opportunity to be reintroduced to the glory, the centrality, the majesty, the pristine beauty and the sovereignty and power of Jesus Christ, who goes forth conquering and to conquer, and we his bride with him. Well, thank you for joining with me in this podcast episode. I pray you'll have a very blessed day, and we'll see you in about a week.